to play now Put me in the game now I came here to prove it, I'm ready to do it I can't be afraid now Put me on the stage now I'm ready to rage now I feel like an animal stuck in a cage And I'm ready to break out Howdy folks, Jamie here and welcome to another awesome episode of the Mindset with Muscle podcast. Uh, my guest today is Jay Samet. Jay is an American digital media innovator and has pioneered advancements in music and video distribution, social media, and e-commerce. He is an author of the best-selling book, Disrupt You, one of my personal favorites, and is launching his brand new book soon called Future Proofing You, The 12 tw- Truths for Creating Opportunity, Maximizing Wealth, and Controlling Your Destiny in an Uncertain World. Jay, welcome to the Mindset with Muscle podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I, I was just saying, it's been a, it's been quite a while, actually. It's been a, a few years since I've spoken to you. Yeah, and... I, I, I was on your show for the first book, which uh, if anybody has a book inside them, write it. Because it's been the most rewarding, spiritually rewarding thing of my life. I wrote it to pay it forward. You know, I've started little companies that have sold for billions. I've run big companies with hundreds of thousands of employees and everything in between. And I know that this can be taught. So I never thought I'd write another book. Uh, The book's now in over a dozen languages. It comes out this year in Urdu, Polish, Icelandic. I mean, crazy. And I get these, and I call what, what I call love letters. I get emails from people all over the world, from over 100 countries of how it's changed their life. And I just hold up a mirror. You have it within you. But occasionally I get this letter from usually a millennial that says, this is all motivational, but I could never do it. And that bugged me, that ate at me. So I decided to do what I call the future proofing you experiment. What if I take someone that grew up on welfare, has no entrepreneurial training, has no money, is basically couch surfing homeless. And I mentor him one day a week for a year. I don't give him any capital. I don't give him any contacts and I don't tell him what business to do. And to wreck the surprise ending, um, he goes from welfare to self-made millionaire in under a year. That, that's crazy, Jay, because I was just looking at the book and I know the foreword was by Tom Bilyeu and you know you raised with him to say that you know, you're going to take an unknown kid raised in poverty with no money and no connections and help him generate $1 million in revenue in the next year without giving him money or introductions. Correct. Where, where do you start on a challenge like that? Okay, so first what I have to break down is what I call the 12 truths to be successful. If you follow these 12 truths, you will be successful. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. The young man uh, from Shepherd's Bush, his name is Vin Clancy. He didn't watch television for a year. He didn't go to the movies for a year. He didn't see friends for a year. He didn't date for a year. He worked his butt off, but he worked harder than most people will so he can live the rest of his life the way most people can't. Which Which is phenomenal. So the first thing you have to do, which is truth number one, is you have to have a growth mindset. And I know you talk about this with your audience. So one of the, the surprise things in the book to Vin is I didn't let him read it till it was typeset so that he couldn't make me change anything that I needed to know that he would hit that ground running because a year is a short period of time. So I had to make sure he had a growth mindset, even if I had to lie to him to make it happen. 
So here's what I did in the beginning to, to make it happen. There's a phenomenon called the Pygmalion effect. And it was discovered by a professor. They went and tested a whole school. They told the teachers, these three students tested that they're going to be super achievers. They're going to grow this year more than everybody else, learn more. And at the end of the year, guess what? Those three students killed it. Funny thing was the professor lied. He never looked at the first test results, picked three names at random. But if he told the kids they were special and told the teachers they were special, they turned out to internalize it. So I told Ben, which was my little white lie, that I interviewed over 100 people. And of all the people, he was the only candidate that had all the attributes to be a self-made millionaire. And so even if he didn't believe it, he looked up to somebody that was older, more successful, more famous, and said, well, if he sees this, I guess it must be there. And so he went along with it. And so he didn't find out that, you know, I lied to him uh, until, <laughs> until the book was done. But by the end of the first month, he had made almost $70,000. By that point, he was so on fire, he could have flown around the world without a plane. I mean, he really internalized it. And he built on that. And, and the key to growth mindset is when you hit those obstacles that are inevitable, you don't go, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this enough. You go, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. It's as simple as that. And, and he, 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 he internalized it. And that very much goes into number two that you've put in your 12 truths is obstacles are opportunities in disguise. And I'd love, I'd love to know more about that because that, that's something Absolutely. that I think a lot of people have been through this last year during this pandemic period where some people have survived and others has, have thrived because they've been able to go, right, what is, what is the lesson that this has given me and what is the opportunity here to grow? Here, let me give you stats on that. The 150 wealthiest people on the planet doubled their net wealth during the pandemic. Let that sink in. Not double what they make in a year. Didn't matter, you know, your Elon Musk go from 80 billion to 200 billion. I mean, uh, Jeff Bezos has a divorce, gives away billions and billions of dollars and comes out of the pandemic twice as wealthy. So what are they seeing differently? What are they doing differently? And the bottom line and the simplest thing is entrepreneurs do not sell things. They solve things. If you solve a problem for a few people, you're popular. Solve for a million, you're rich. Solve for a billion and you change the world. And so if you have problems in your life, congratulations, you're halfway to success because odds are the problems you are experiencing, other people are experiencing. And we're all willing to pay for something that makes life easier and better. And so that's the key here. I, I literally had to write that down, that entrepreneurs don't sell things, they solve things. That's just, for me, that, that just explains so much. Right. I mean, nobody ever went into the store wanting to buy an electric drill and a drill bit. What they wanted was a hole. <laughs> okay. So they had to buy all the stuff to get the hole. And that's pretty much everything. And so the key here is also, which, which really bugs me of when I tried to learn as a mentor, you learn as much as you teach. So I was learning what's different about this world from when I came up. And many things are easier. Many things are harder. But one of the things that really resonated is that we teach math wrong. So if I could take you back to, to third grade, you know, when you're you know, eight years old, you were taught something like this. Jay buys a banana for $1. He sells it to Mike for $2 and he makes a dollar. 
And that's how business works. Well, that implies that the only way I make money is if I take it from you. As it's a zero-sum game, like poker, you can only make what's on the table. Well, with that mindset, if the other guy gets a raise, that means I'm not getting a raise. If he gets the job, I don't get the job. Immigrants are taking jobs. Foreign countries are taking jobs. Everybody's against me. What a miserable way to raise people to think. Here's how math really works. Now, put in, in your mindset, every 48 hours, there's a new self-made billionaire in the, in the world. That's what the B. Every 48 hours. And here's why. They make money out of thin air. So I, Jay, decide I'm going to start a new company. Mike, I'd like to sell you 10% for $10,000. You go, okay. What do I now have? I now have 10,000 in cash and 90,000 in equity. I can hire people with that. I can buy things. I can merge things. That's how Jeff Bezos could lose money year after year after year and come out the other side as the richest man in the world. Entrepreneurs create money out of thin air. It doesn't come from a central bank. I love it, Jay. Um, and it is such an interesting statistic. A billionaire every 48 hours. Yeah. It's, uh, it makes us feel like slackers some days, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does indeed. But he here's the other side of it. And I apologize, I only know US statistics. If we come out of the back end of the pandemic, in the US, the bottom 140 million people are fighting over 1% of the assets. That's all they have, 1%. And so when I look at what happened at our, at our Capitol building, at our Congress in January, the insurrection, what I see is thousands and thousands, millions of people that are hurting. They feel left behind. They feel left out. They feel that their life is just scrambling for leftovers. So we failed people with the educational system. We taught them how to be factory workers. We taught them how to you know, not think for themselves. And the world is changing too fast for that mentality. So I'm dedicating whatever time I have left in this world to teach people how they can be successful. I'm not trying to sell anything. There's no mastermind. There's no t-shirt. There's no coaching. The only reason I write the books is it's the only way I can scale my ability to do what I did with Vin to do with a million or 10 million people. And as you said, Vin was from Shepherd's Bush, wasn't he, in yes. the UK? Rough and neighborhood. Yeah. And I think something that I would say, and a lot of people seem to agree with me, is that English people are very, very skeptical. You know, if something is too good to be true, they tend to think that it is. And that, that's what kind of stops them. And I think a lot of it comes down to fear. Oh, um, absolutely. And first of all, the English don't get to take credit for being skeptical. <laughs> Every culture is skeptical. Every culture has, has fear. And, and one of the truths that I really dig into in this book is harnessing fear. I've heard so many, what I consider hucksters and charlatans out there going, fear isn't real. Fear is made up. And they have some acronym, you know, whatever. Fear is real. You're only sitting there because your great, 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 great grandfather, when he saw that saber-toothed tiger, ran, okay? Our lizard brain, the central core of our brain, has a fight or flight reflex before any rational thought. I don't say, oh, nice shirt you're wearing, or oh, this is a nice restaurant. I go, is this person going to kill me before I have any chance to think about anything? So your fears are real. 
And right now you have a fear if you start a business of losing money, of being embarrassed, of giving up your steady job. The list of fears seems quite daunting. Those are legitimate fears. But pretend you have all those fears and you're walking across the street and a big giant bus is headed towards you, no brakes. Are you thinking about those fears at that moment? Are you hauling your ass out of the street, okay? The thought being that there's a more pressing fear, a greater fear that overcomes those silly fears, okay? You don't care if you look silly, you're running. Well, what is the fear that you should focus on? Here's the fear. You have a job that you hate. It doesn't pay you to live the lifestyle that you deserve. It doesn't even pay you enough to care. It just pays you enough not to quit. So you give a day of your life, a week of your life, a month of your life, a year of your life, 20 years. Of your, you give your whole life. You throw away the most precious gift you'll ever have. So you should be afraid of giving away your life every day that you waste. You're giving away a day that you could be working on that future. And if you want proof, talk to your grandparents, go to an old age home and ask people, what's their biggest regret in life? And it's not what they failed to do. It's what they failed to try. There's no shame in failing. You fail your way to the top. You learn from mistakes. You know, we all play video games. No one sits down and likes a video game where you sit down and two hours later you get to the end. You get to an obstacle, you fail, you work and work until you get over that obstacle. Then you get further and there's another obstacle. And another. That's your career. And when you fail, you don't end up where you started. When you fail, you either earn or you learn. Either way, you've been enriched by the experience. And so got to get that through. And once people realize that, and yes, the British really have a huge fear of embarrassment. That is a cultural thing. Um, Monty Python made more skits about that than anything. But isn't it more embarrassing to waste your life? Isn't that shameful? Yeah, definitely. Something I always remember from your first book, Jay, was you explaining the difference between failing and failure. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that I say to people all the time. And, you know, I always quote from the book of, you know, failure being throwing in the towel and failing being a natural, you know, a natural part and process of success. I, I failed more than most people because I try more than most people. And there's nothing wrong with it. By the way, investors would rather invest in somebody who's had a failed business in the past than somebody the first time out. You know, the biggest names that you can think of failed and had bankruptcies first. Bill Gates, Henry Ford, Walt Disney, okay? But they persevered. And so it comes down to two things that I believe are core. The only two things you need to be a success are insight and perseverance. I can teach you how to get insight to have a successful business. And in Future Proofing You, I really focus on how to take that perseverance and bolster it by turning it into passion. And that's what I learned about the younger generation is they wanna work at a place that means something where the work is solving something that they feel a core value is being achieved, whether it's their company or the one they work for. They wanna buy products that stand for something and have, have meaning. And so if you can put meaning into your work, you're, you're home run. I give the example that 
you're walking by a construction site and there's three bricklayers. And you ask him each, what are you doing? The first guy says, uh, I'm laying bricks. And the second guy says, I'm building a building. And the third guy says, I'm making a house of God. Okay, so they're building a church. The first guy has a job. The second guy has a career. And the third guy has a calling. That calling will keep him going. That's why you see immigrants being some of the most successful people in any country. Because it's not the menial job that they're doing. That is a stepping stone for a journey that started long before they got that job and will continue long after they've moved past it. They're on a mission to achieve something. I stumbled into this theory of success by having two sons when I was very young. And I wanted them to have a better life. That absolutely was my driving sole focus. It wasn't how do you make money? It wasn't about ego. I, I don't want to jet in planes. I wanted them to have a great life. So that drove me. And when they grew up and they were successful and they moved out and I'm on the wrong side of 50, I was lost. I didn't want to run another company or sell another company or, you know, it, it, it really gets repetitive. But when I realized I could teach this, that I could make the journey easier for others, then my life had meaning again. And that's why I spend so much time doing this because it works. You have it within you. One of your truths, Jay, was that, uh, I think in number five, your unique superpower makes you successful. Was this something that you tried to establish on the first hour of the phone call with Vin of exactly what his superpower was? No, I didn't know him well enough. I mean, our first meeting was over a piece of pizza. And my main goal was, could I convince him that this crazy guy was really going to make this happen for him? Um, and Vin's superpower, at least in my mind, what a superpower is, evolved over the mentoring sessions. And what it was is, when most people tell us how to do something, our initial gut reaction is, don't tell me how to do something, right? You know, I do it this way. And that's a normal reaction. And so what we developed was if I say something and I can't back it up with facts, data, don't listen to it. And if you have an argument against it and you can back it up with facts, okay. But if your only reason for saying no is this not based on anything instinct, Put that in a box. So Vin was willing to go along with things that he didn't necessarily agree with or didn't understand based on the fact that he had no life experience to tell him otherwise. And midway through the year, he wrote me a note, and I included the note in the book, that he wrote down after our first meeting. After I left the restaurant, he wrote a note to himself, which basically said, he did it more eloquently, this guy's full of it but I got nothing else going on. So I'll play along. So he really didn't believe that it could happen. And I took him to meet Tom Villeneuve because I originally wanted to video every mentoring session so people could, could experience it live. And even Tom said to me afterwards, I don't think this guy, you know, believes in this thing. And he probably didn't at that first stage. But when you suddenly have success beyond what you dreamt and you did it on your own. And that's the key. I didn't do anything here. I don't get to take any credit other than, you know, I pointed him in direction, but I didn't tell him what to see. And every, every, every challenge, everything that he did, 
And it wasn't easy, by the way. If I was writing this as a, as a movie, there's a twist in the story. Midway through, his business gets punched in the gut like a sucker punch that nobody could see coming. And I said to myself, okay, this is over. It's going to be a book about a guy who tapped out after making a half a million dollars. There's no way he's going to rebound. And he took it in stride because by then he said, okay, this isn't working. Let me try something that does. And I was so blown away by that. And when we had our, our end of month meeting that month, he was beating himself up because he only made 96,000 that month. He didn't hit his target of a hundred grand. And I'm like, if he could see himself a year ago and say, you'd be upset that you didn't make a hundred grand in a month, you only made 96,000. Um, it just showed how far he'd come in confidence. Which, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible how in such a short space of time, and I think a, a lot of that comes down to sometimes um, a little bit of naivety in the fact that sometimes if you've been in this game, so I, I coach a lot of fitness professionals and, and something that I say to uh, a lot of fitness professionals is it's easier to coach someone who's new than somebody who's been doing it 10 years because um, it takes so much longer to undo the bad habits of 10 years than it is to establish those new ones from the start. A hundred percent, but... And the reason why I wrote the first book, Disrupt You, is along those same lines. Our parents and teachers have instilled a voice in our head that says, well, we can't or that we're limited, right? There are no limitations. They're self-imposed. They're, they're unreal. Whatever you were when you went to bed, you don't have to be when you wake up. And as Ford said, you know, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So I agree with you. The other part of naivete is actually what I loved about, you know, uh, uh, Sir Richard Branson with the Virgin brand is the brand says it's a virgin. They don't know what they're doing. So mistakes are fine. If I knew everything I've learned in 40 years in business, when I started my first company, I would have known not to start it because the odds of success were so slim. But because I was naive, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to kick butt. And, you know, got lucky. The, the you know, timing, the one thing that you can't control in business a line for me and voila. But I made a bigger mistake then that I cover in, in Future Proofing You. I thought you had to do it on your own. I thought it was a sign of weakness to ask for help. Don't fly solo. That's one of the most important truths. There are tons of mentors and you will need a series of mentors in your life that will make the journey quicker, that will have knowledge that you don't want to have to learn on your own. You don't go and pick poisonous mushrooms and then go, oh, this one will kill me. Tons of other people figure that out. You take that knowledge with you. So if you can have people guide you through the parts of business that you don't know, the outcome will be tremendously different. My first company was kicking butt. It was real early on. And somebody with a bigger company said, hey, we want to buy you. We'll give you a third of our company. And I didn't understand stock or anything. And I'm going like, I don't want to lose control. You know, I'm in my 20s. Well, that company was turned out to be a company called Activision worth $18 billion. When you make a multi-billion dollar mistake when you're young, you learn. Okay. Now I've had a blessed life and I haven't made the same mistakes twice, but I continue to make new ones. Yeah, and I, I think it's important as well. I mean, I was speaking to a friend about this because once again, you know, I, I spent a long time building up a business as a joint venture and ended up splitting from the partnership. And, um, 
you know, he said to me, that was your entrance fee. And it was a nice way of looking at making kind of the mistakes and going through the journey and everything else like that. Because, you know, myself, I never went to university or college. Uh, You know, I had very um, low education and kind of figured a lot of this out uh, for myself. But there are a couple of things I look back and think, right, I could have not made those mistakes had I invested in other people that had made those mistakes before and got, you know, and, and got better. But also at the same time, I'm kind of glad because, you know, I kind of look back and go, well, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have gained that experience from making that mistake. I wouldn't have gained experience from that mistake. Um, and also as I do grow, it's, it's that realization is, yeah, as you said, you cannot do this alone. It's not just about getting help from mentors. It's trusting other people to do things for you. And I think that's one of the biggest elements with growing a business or any kind of success is being able to outsource certain things that you're not good at, or even, even better yet, finding people that are better than you at that. I think it, once again, Richard Branson said that, it was his superpower was being dyslexic because he needed to find other people who were smarter than him to help him grow his business. So he became a good delegator. Oh, he and I, he and I share that, that, that same dyslexia. Um, I, I think I, I've known Richard long enough that I can tell you his amazing superpower compared to his peer group is he still can think like the regular bloke. There's nothing posh about his mindset. So when he sees things that that could be smoothed out, made easier for regular people, he connects to that. You know, he would fly on his flights and just talk to other passengers to find out what their lives were like, to understand what was and wasn't working across as many businesses. And it's it's a real, you know, special gift. The farther you get from everyday things, you get out of touch. I remember when Reid Hoffman, uh, who wrote the intro to my first book and created PayPal and LinkedIn and as chairman of Microsoft and probably the smartest person I've met on the planet. He came to me with this new investment. It was the first cash in a hundred grand into these guys. And the business was, well, some people get to stay at your house and you can stay at their house. And I'm like, I'm never staying at somebody's house and no strangers come and stay to my house. So I turned down Airbnb uh, because it wasn't about me. And uh, it was a good lesson to learn. Yeah, <laughs> very good lesson to learn. <laughs> um, number 11 on your truths, Jay, was working hard doesn't make you rich. Working smart does. Yeah, so I realized that so much of what we were taught is the Warren Buffett approach to life. And Warren's a, a genius investor, not taking anything away from the, uh, from the, the, the master. He's worth 80-something billion dollars, but he made 99% of his wealth after he was 50. I'm on the other side of 50, and I can honestly tell you from empirical experience, I could have had a lot more fun with billions in my 20s and 30s than waiting till I was my age. And so at the other side, you look at somebody like Kylie Jenner. She became a billionaire at 22, the youngest self-made billionaire. And when I point this out, people go, yeah, but she's in the Kardashians. Yeah, there's no billionaires in the Kardashians. So what did she do differently? So it's how you structure a deal. And I don't care if you're working freelance. I don't care if you're taking a full-time job. How you structure that relationship is the difference between making a living and creating wealth. Capitalism isn't about buying and selling. The word capitalism means 
You take capital, i.e. money, and you put it to work so you don't have to. Unless you have capital working for you, you're going to be working until you drop dead. So I, I talk about, because I've worked with these people, how some of the household names that you think of as wealthy made their money. Steven Spielberg became a billionaire, not by directing you know, movies. The founder of McDonald's, Ray Kroc, became a billionaire, not from selling hamburgers. You know, So each of these people came up with a deal structure that paid huge dividends. And if somebody's hiring you as a freelancer to do something, and what you're doing has an impact on them being more successful, why not tie yourself to a performance bonus that if it hits this metric or exceeds this metric, you get paid more? Why wouldn't they put that in the contract? This guy's going to make me more money, I'll pay you more. And every time I've done that, I've gone to the next level of coming up with a stretch goal. Let me put out something in the ludicrous numbers that if I can hit that, I get paid a ludicrous bonus. And by the way, when people write me those checks, not one of them has ever complained. Like, wait a second, you worked this short period of time and I paid you that many digits? Yeah, but how much did you make? Probably the, the best example of that deal structure is it was a company that was floundering, had lifetime sales of $30,000, nothing. I went in, I took 50% ownership, didn't pay him a penny, took half ownership. 90 days later, I took him public for $440 million. So you could say, wow, you got paid an awful lot for three months work. Yeah, but they were going to close their doors. How much did they make? So there's always a way to structure a deal that everybody wins. And, you know, people need to focus on that. The working hard, working smart thing is something I teach a lot of fitness professionals because something I say to them is what got them where they are today won't get them where they want to be tomorrow. Because, you know, and the world's changed a lot this year. Uh, a lot of fitness professionals are realizing that, you know, exchanging time, you know, money for an hour, you know, personal training session, you're, you're limited by how many hours you have in the day. And I think a lot of people that have now transitioned has realized the scalability of online and the, the ability to scale that time. So you're not just working with one person an hour, you're working with hundreds of people an hour. And, you know, it's that sudden alarm bell that rings that they can earn so much more money per hour of their time just by scaling up and being able to be in more places than once, i.e. Zoom, a live stream, uh, a podcast, and all of these things. Doctors finally learned this. Psychologists finally learned this. But let's talk about pro athletes for a second. I'm amazed at the dedication and lifelong commitment it takes to be an elite athlete. They started in elementary school. They worked through high school, college, their entire lives. And yet, Within five years of retiring from the NBA, half have filed bankruptcy. Retiring from the NFL, half have filed bankruptcy. Why didn't they put that same effort in putting their money that they were making to work? Well, they weren't given financial literacy. They weren't taught any of these things. They were just focused on you know, the, the physical aspects of it. And I became friends with an NBA player. I won't out him here because I don't have permission to embarrass him. At that point, he had career earnings of $60 million, $60 million. He didn't own a home. He didn't own a car. 
He was broke. He was penniless. All of his efforts made him somebody that every family relative, you know, just clawed on to take from and, 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 and take away his cash. And, you know, first girl you meet gets knocked up, all those horror stories. And here was a guy that only had a couple of years left. And I'm like, dude, I'm not a sports agent. I'm not a, I don't come from that world, but how about let me negotiate your new contract. I'm not going to take a penny for it. I just don't want to see you in this situation. And so was able to do it and, and get him on the path of having control of his future because he was a top athlete and it, it, it blew my mind. I mean, Mike Tyson had $350 million in earnings and went completely bankrupt and didn't even ask attorneys or of how to shelter some of that before the bankruptcy. He literally had to start from ground zero after getting pummeled his entire life physically. So get those mentors. Yeah, I, I think it's so important because it's just something that is not taught in school how to manage your money. And it goes back to what you're saying about, you know, the whole industrial age being, you know, getting just enough money to to live by and, you know, feed yourself and shelter yourself for the month and, and not actually think about, you know, your future and relying on other people, I think, to do that. And I think I, I assume that a lot of athletes think that A, that's going to last forever, what they, they've got. Um, and be that somebody's going to do it for them. Yep. And, I, and it's not just athletes, it's every field. I ran EMI and, and Universal and, and, and Sony and BMG Music. And what I realized was that the, the nicest people that I've ever met were the superstar artists who had it all, lost it all because you're young and arrogant and you have no, nobody could handle that amount of fame and money when they're a teenager. And if they were lucky enough to have that second time, boy, they appreciate every day and every person because they know what it's like when it gets taken away. And too many people in the pandemic saw their career taken away, saw their small business taken away, saw their lifestyle taken away. Um, This was hard. Even if you didn't suffer personally from the disease, lots of people's wealth was wiped out. Their, their cushion was wiped out. The majority of Americans don't have $1,000. That's insane. The majority of Americans retire with less than $10,000 and there's no pensions in this country. So I want people to be future-proof. There will be more disruption. I mean, I gave my first speech about pandemics six years ago at Singularity University. I was asked, what's the biggest disruption that's going to happen in our lifetimes? I gave the soup to nuts of what a pandemic's going to do because it was inevitable that we were due for one. I never thought it would have the effect that it did. I thought, I, I really honestly thought our government would be more competent, right? Like Japan is one third the size of the US and they've had 3,000 deaths. We've had 500,000. So can't count on your government to protect you. And what happens when governments can't pay those pensioners their pensions? So either you take control of your destiny, no matter how uncertain the world is, or you let life wash over you, you know? And I don't know, I'd rather use my brains than leave it up to chance. 
Yeah, I think that's where a lot of a lot of the anger comes from is blaming other people. And sometimes it's quite therapeutic for others to go, well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Um, and not knowing that they've got the power within themselves to do something about it. And I think uh, if I, it, you know, for me now being, you know, living, should we say living a life on my terms for the last seven, eight years, it's a lot easier for me to see the opportunities than somebody who might not have yet seen it. Cause I remember leave, I was in the military um, till 2009. And, you know, I remember a question that I'd say to myself working in a nine to five job. I was like, how on earth do people get rich? Cause I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing the math and I'm like, I've got just enough money to save equivalent to a hundred dollars a month. And I've got a thousand dollars on my credit card and it's, that's going to take me 10 months just to pay off. And it's amazing the, and I would say, you know, the biggest education for me and the, and the biggest mentors, I think one of the things that a lot of people think of when it comes to mentors is I haven't got the money for mentors. And, you know, I had people that I was listening to on podcasts as my mentors for the first few years and they were all free. They were all available. The only thing that I needed to give in exchange was time and attention to absorb the wisdom from people and then go and apply it. By the way, the, the mentors that I teach you to get and how to get them off of LinkedIn and find them are not te- tar- charging you anything. These are people that want you to succeed and want to help and want to have the validation that their knowledge matters. Go back to my math example. If we're not all clawing for that same dollar, then if I could encourage people to make money and solve problems, who are they solving the problems for? Oh yeah, I'm on this planet too. I want more people to make life better because we got a lot of serious problems. I mean, I end the book talking about sustainable capitalism. The capitalism that we grew up and studied in school is broken. You can't have endless growth on a finite planet. So either you get ahead of it and figure out the true cost of your business and making it sustainable, or government regulation will eventually interfere with your business or your competitors. So you can get so much help out there. And and there's organizations that you can join that are just made up of other people at the same stage as you, whether it's... uh, uh, YPO or, or entrepreneur organization. Uh, I went to speak at uh, entrepreneur organizations uh, global summit in Portugal, pre-pandemic. And here were a thousand people all running mom and pop type businesses from around the world, you know, a dry cleaner, this, that. Each sharing with each other what they learned about working on their business. Because at a certain level, all business is the same. It's cash flow, it's raising money, it's managing money, it's dealing with employees. It's, all those things are the same, whether you're baking a pie or you're making an app. And one of the things that was like so touching, and I, I put a picture of it on Instagram because it was so amazing. They had a dinner for everybody. And I've been at a lot of fancy dinners in my life. Well, this was the first time I've been at a dinner where all 1,000 people sat at one table. And that just said something. The table was, went on forever. But just the power that we're all equal and in it together was very, very moving. Yeah, one, one of my uh, mentors, um, her her podcast is Build a Bigger Table podcast. And it was, you know, that just falls in line so much with building a bigger table because there's room for everyone. Yeah. I, I, give me her email. I'll send her the picture. Um, but yeah, so you can do it. 
I wrote Future Proofing You as a test case. I put my reputation on the line. I said, here's one individual that you can relate to that doesn't have any leg up on anybody reading it. And the other thing, and I talk about this as one of the truths, remote workers, you're no longer limited to hiring people that live within 10 kilometers of you or 20 kilometers of the commute. The pandemic showed us that the biggest companies can have 98% of their employees working at home. So can your startup, which means you don't have to hire the best person in your town. You can hire the best person on the planet. And they may live in a country where they want to work for much less. And so a virtual business and the tools, and I list 22 of the most important free tools that you can use to manage a virtual business. It also means if you are a, a freelancer or an employee or a small startup, you can live anywhere and do it. You don't have to be in a congested town where rent gets you this teeny little place for exorbitant amounts of money. Um, I have a friend whose son got a job at Google, killer job, top engineer. Oh my God, he's so excited. Even making you know a six-figure salary in Silicon Valley, you have to share an apartment with a bunch of smelly other guys and life's miserable. Now that he can work wherever, he literally for less than his rent in Silicon Valley for a one-room studio with two roommates, he rented a house in Hawaii to do the same job and you gotta feel better. And if you're not commuting for two, three hours a day, that's time that you can spend with loved ones. So your quality of life can be better. And now that people can take control of when and where they work, you can work one month in Thailand and work another one in Spain to run with the bulls. And you don't have to wait till you're old and decrepit to see this beautiful planet. You can experience it and have a work-life balance that no generation before was able to. Which is, which is incredible. It really is. And I think the more people realize what's available to them online and, the, you know, look at fiverr.com. I'm sure there's plenty of other tools that you recommend in the book. It blows you away with what you can get because a lot of my team are remote. A lot of them are incredible at what they do. And actually, something that I realized is actually hiring people from different countries means that when you're asleep, they're working. So when you're waking up, they're finishing projects. And there's no, there's such a great feeling. Absolutely. I've that. used engineering teams on the other side of the world for that. But you also learn the more diversity in your team, the more viewpoints that might be different, that might be complementary, the more that you can see other angles to things and solve problems that may not be happening in your community, but might be substantial somewhere else. Um, I'm on the board of a company that we thought North America was our core and the company just literally exploded in, in the Philippines. So once you say, why are we successful there? What else markets works like the Philippines? And, and you go there. And I've seen many things. There was a, a, a little British startup that made a, a little teeny portable vacuum cleaner. A little teeny little thing. And they were trying to sell it because online, you don't know where your customers come from. Somebody bought it in Korea. It became super popular. And now like 80% of their business is in Korea. Like, you just don't know. And, and it's such a small world when we're one click away from 7 billion customers. And that's why billionaires can be created so quickly. You don't have to be right for one nanosecond. Yeah, it's incredible. 
Jay, mid-June, the UK is going to be lifting all of the lockdowns. So we're finally going to feel like we've got some freedom back to, to move and to do things. If you were starting from day dot in June, what three things would you tell our listeners to focus on to build their body, brain, and business? So if everybody's coming out of June, start planning now. What are the things that people have been without thirsting for, dying for? Restaurants are going to be packed. Make sure your restaurant's open and marketing now. Figure out how to engage customers now, how to build that direct relationship now. You know, figure out those things that people have been doing without that are critical to our existence. Um, and so there's going to be a, a boom in consumer spending. So your business, you could be the equivalent of a stripper and everybody's got that stack of bills. It's going shh, 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 because people haven't been able to enjoy life in the way that they want to. I'm not saying that there wasn't joy. Um, so that's what I would focus on. And I'd be looking at those places that may have lifted earlier or done things to see what took off there that might give you a good idea and a good insight. And build that relationship today. I mean, one of the examples I use in the, in the book along this is, you know, I remind people that every business is a high-tech startup, okay? You coach people physically on their bodies, but you're in a high-tech startup. You connect with these people, you use the people, you can now visit more of them by doing it virtually. So figure out how you can leverage existing technology to connect, to get your market research, to, to create a dialogue with, with your potential audience so that when your door opens, they're lined up around the block. So, so I say the same day that you plant the seed isn't the same day that you pick the flower. Oh, well said. My, my line is people always ask me, is now a good time to start a business? I said, a year ago was the best time to start your business. Today is the second best time. It's like, it, you never put off because the sooner you start, the more time you have to course correct and get it right. You know, if you wait till you're 60, 70 to start your business, you know, not a lot of time. Yeah, not at all. So the, when is the book out, Jay? Because I've so the, literally just the, gone and, and ordered it on, on Amazon. The, the, the book is out in March 23rd. Uh, it'll be in your hands by then. I think Amazon ships March 21st. Uh, the Kindle version's already out. Uh, I got them to push that up. I'm like, why are you holding that? There's no shipping involved and people are at home. Uh, the audiobook will also be out on that date. And uh, I just heard this morning, I was excited, the first foreign language version. They, they, this is exciting when you're an author. Your book isn't even out yet, but they've already committed to have the Italian version out by the time I'm speaking in Italy in the fall. So that was kind of fun. Um, but again, I'm doing this to just help you to help yourself. You know, for, for the price of having lunch somewhere, you know, invest in yourself, invest in your future. Tom Bilyeu, who wrote and honored me by writing the intro to this, and I really, I love Tom. He wrote something in, in the foreword that was just so powerful. He said to the reader, I believe in you. Even if I haven't met you, I believe in you. 
because I believe in humans and humans are adaptable and humans are capable of great things. So I, I second that. I mean, you really can make this stuff happen. I grew up working class. If you would have told me dozens of friends and associates became billionaires, I would have said, what are you talking about? I didn't even know what a millionaire was. And I've known these people before they were household names. They're not smarter. By the way, higher IQ doesn't translate to greater wealth. College degree no longer translates to greater wealth. So you have what it takes. It's just going to take that perseverance to get you there. And yeah, and, and that belief, which, as you said, some people need a little white lie to be told that they and have I it also, in them. Right. And I also forgot to mention that I have free workbooks for both of my books, Disrupt You and Future Proof You. If you go to my website, jsamit.com, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T.com, just click on the link and I'll send you the workbooks. Again, I'm not selling anything. I'm not upselling anything. It allows you to get more out of each chapter and start processing what you're learning as opposed to just, ooh, that made sense. Then you go to the next page and you forget about it so that you can really start making a, a plan for your life. You know, if you don't know where you want to be in five years, how are you going to get there? So, yeah, definitely. Where can people find out more about you, Jay? Uh, JaySamet.com. You can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Love to hear from everybody. Love to hear your success stories and your challenges. Jay, I just want to say thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. I can't wait to read the book. And as always, I finish every podcast with the same quote. And it's what you put in your body affects how you look and how you feel. And what you put in your body affects what you think and what you do. And today, you've been filling your heads with me, Jay Milton, and Jay Samet. Jay, thank you ever so much for coming on the Mindset Muscle podcast today. Thank you. None of you people can tell me to stop. My town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes.